very welcome on in to this very special episode as we pay tribute to one of the very, very best ever to wear the Irish Fest. Good fight. Was it a difficult decision for you to turn pro after getting the bronze medal? No, it was because, you know, it was always my ambition from day one to turn professional. It was only, it was really a matter of when as opposed to if, you know, and uh, being 26 and being at an Olympics, you know, you can't really go any further than, than a bronze other than getting a gold medal and to wait four years and um, you know for the for, for the fact that anything can happen and then I'd be 30 and then I definitely would have missed missed the boat so you know right now is the right time um, my main my main my main ambition was to make sure I got the right people behind me and I think in Frank Maloney and now a trainer of Brian Lawrence I think I've got the right team now to go forward as we search for God in the Darren Sutherland. When I hear the name Darren mm-hmm. Sutherland, um, I find myself kind of washing over in a, in a mix of emotions and questions and feelings. And um, what what's the mix? I suppose uh, happiness, happiness, and 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 the, the the vision, the memory of him and and his teammates, and and I'm conscious. Something Kieran mentioned to me as we recorded the other day. There's a lot of people who may not have been around and may not have been watching boxing, particularly younger f- fighters and fans, and uh, may not have been lucky enough to watch Darren and his team as they they strived for so many years to make that breakthrough. And when they eventually smashed that um, nearly tag, the always the bridesmaid tag. Um, they subsequently went on and, and won Ireland's first boxing Olympic medals since since those amazing scenes of, of Wayne McCullough and Michael Carruth 16 years previously. Now you think 16 years of winning without winning an Olympic medal in boxing, it's probably uh, unimaginable right now because we've, we've kind of got ourselves to a point where the nation almost expects and it's always the boxers. Let's get that thing straight, isn't it? So I have to be a little bit biased. <laughs> but truth hurts. And it doesn't have to hurt. It just has to be realised and recognised. And um, but yeah, the feelings then. Pride, of course, was to see. Um, he he had so many attributes, so many attributes. And and again, I'm speaking from a fan's point of view because it's what I am and what I was and what I'll always will be. Uh, was a true fan, and and he captured my imagination. He captivated me. And I guess it was it wasn't just his his unquestionable talent. He was an absolute. Phenom, an absolute, undoubted future world champion, and safe to say, possible multiple world champion. I, I think that's a, I don't think that's a stretch. But there was the human side to Darren that captivated and captured everybody. He had those sparkling eyes, those those, just that sparkling smile, that when he smiled and and the eyes beamed and glowed. As he watched all before him on the podium, and 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 there was a little bit of a criticism that why was he so happy, and that's going to be um that's going to be cleared up here in this one. I know he had he had just lost, and just just shelved that thought for the time being. I promise you, you're going to see and hear here now. I like to try and keep the podcast real 
and not to um not to avoid the trouble stuff and the difficult stuff and, and, and it is difficult. So if we're talking feelings and emotions, um there was the immeasurable heartache when when I remember his death. And uh, I've never understood why a fan, which is what I was, as I said, a fan, would feel the loss the way I did feel it. It didn't make sense. And and uh, at times, if I'm being honest, it felt a little bit silly. Why, why would you feel connected so much? And I don't know. I don't know. And I, it was with some intrepidation that I, I kind of ventured into this with Kieran, and, and I'm glad I did. I'm, I'm glad I did because I can't not. I can't not, to be honest with you. Um, it's without dwelling too much on the sad and, and <laughs> sad doesn't even profound loss. There, there really isn't a word to measure it. Um, what it does is it gives us a stark reminder. It has to be a reminder. Everybody has a battle. Everybody. Now let's get that straight here and now. And let's let's just pull this out into the light. And let, whether you're six foot filly, lugging blocks around the building site, mulligan wheelbars of concrete and tough as old boots. Or whether you're a little five foot phelim who runs marathons every day, there's not a pick on him, fit as a flea. Maybe you're a little overweight, Tom, Alan, whatever you want to call him. Brains to burn, running a massive company, super salary, future intact, everything ahead. And don't forget, don't forget the likes of the Shaunas, the Marys, the Tinas, or the Johns, the Shauns, the stay-at-home parent. They run their own firm. They may not leave the house and do their nine-to-five traditional salary at the end of the week, but don't make, don't ever be mistaken. Those people run a firm. They run a business. They get two or three kids out to school. They get back to clean the house. They do the washing. They do all that has to be done. They cook the food. They prep the food to get everything right. And then they collect the army from school. And it starts again. Don't ever underestimate the... Everybody. Everybody has a battle. Everyone has a fight. It may not be in an Olympic boxing ring. It may not be for a world title in Las Vegas. Every single one of us has a fight. And it goes on. And it goes on behind those gleaming eyes. And it goes on behind those beautiful, amazing smiles. And I guess what it did for me, and what it does ten years later, which is, it's, it's almost it's almost hard to even say the word. Ten years on the 14th of September. What Darren's death for me is, it proves that we're no different. We all suffer. We all struggle. Different ways, different times, same hustle. And we just have to talk. Shout out to Anya. I was chatting to her there a little while before. As I, as I <laughs> it's my second attempt to record this and keep it, keep it somewhat together. Um, shout out to Anya. As I said, we Irish folk have a tradition, a reputation that follows us around the world for drinking, for talking, for singing, telling stories, communicating. And we've stopped doing that. We've stopped doing it. Whether I don't know whether it's phones, I don't know whether it's anti-social media. Anti-social media is not communicating. It's not going out the door and saying, hey, how are you? How's one? Pick one a day. One. If a fella looks like maybe he's just having a bad day, ask him, is he okay? Ask her. Ask her. Ask them. 
we got to get back to communicating. we got to get back to doing what we do. We can't, we can't live in this fake social media realm. It's not real. It's not sustainable. It's not. It's just not. And I get things change and I get times move and everything has to change. And that's good. Change is good if it's for the better and when it's for the better. Overall, for me, Darren Sutherland is, was, and he forever will be Irish boxing's brightest light. It'll be the brightest lights in the sky. And it, it pains me to say that. It pains me not to have seen him collect his belts and his titles and to live and fulfil that potential and to find all the trappings. And I understand, and you'll hear the funny parts of the interviews where no doubt the undoubted wealth that would have been accumulated from such a successful career would have been well-minded. <laughs> as uh, as you'll hear Kieran allude to in a few minutes. But it's a heartbreak. It's heartbreak for his family, his sisters, his mum and his dad, his friends, his coaches, his teammates and his fans. And please, if we get nothing else from it, please, please talk, particularly the lads. Come on, lads. It's not that hard. But take the man card out of the arse pocket and put it on the table. I promise you. I promise you, you'll feel better when you have to do it. You have to do it. Do not bottle it up. I'm going to ask you to do something here now. I'm going to play a little something. If you just close your eyes. Listen to the words. And picture the most beautiful gleaming eyes. And smile. You look at the guy's record. I'm a bit embarrassed about it, to be honest. The fact that, you know, he's, he's lost more than he's won. But... I don't choose the, the opponents and, you know, Frank and Brian have both said to me that, look, you do your job in the ring and, and we'll do ours outside of picking the opponent. So I can only beat who's in front of me and uh, I'm going to treat this guy like any other. I'm not even going to bother thinking about the record. You know, I've trained really hard for the fight and, um, you know, if, he, if he's not up to scratch, then, then, then I'll be looking to, to take him out. Right. Hard not to get goosebumps when you hear that. But it's not all sad. It's not all sad. We're going to celebrate. We're going to remember the amazing achievements. We're going to remember the legacy left behind. And we're going to remember the funny stories um, of how Darren wasn't too fond of parting with the, the pound note. And Kieran MacGyver of Boxing Bants. Of course, you'll find them on the YouTube. Uh, I'll put a link to them in the show notes. Kieran was very, very generous and very good to reach out to me and have a chat, have a discussion about the documentary that he's about to release on the memory and the life of this great man. And myself and Kieran spoke for a good hour and a half, I would say, earlier in the week. I can't remember what it was. I, th- I think I was, I was, I was speaking um, to a friend and they were talking about uh, celebrities and things like that, that all seemed to die at the age of 27. Do you know what I mean? All these people, you know, Cork Cobain, um, you know, they you know, that kind of stuff, like, yep. do you know what I mean, 10 years ago. And I don't know how it came across me. Um, it was like a post or something like that. And then I, it was Darren. And I just, I, I just realized to myself, I was like, he, he was going to be passed away 10 years this September 14th. And it just kind of just, it was like, God, you know, I could, I could really make a documentary here to, to, to remember him because, how he passed away and things like that, you know, back then, you know, for a boxer, um, it was still very much, 
a new kind of thing, you know what I mean? It's suicide, all these types of things. It, it wasn't really spoken about, especially with a, a boxer. And um, him, him in particular as well. It was, it was quite, it's quite a shock to the, to the country. And I thought, you know, you look at the amount of people who talk about mental health and things like that now across social media and across, um, just across, just in general, like now, it, it's so spoken about, and there's so many things to bring awareness to it that that wasn't back, it wasn't around back then, and. It's changed so much now in ten years since he's passed away, um, and I thought it'd just be nice to to do something for to, to you know do do a little small documentary about him, speak to people that knew him, just to remember him who he was, and because I just there's a lot of people who wouldn't know who he was right now and how good he was and his mentality. And the more I delved into him as a person, like when I was researching for it, the more I actually became fascinated by him and by his mentality. And uh, it was really, really interesting. So I wanted to keep delving and delving and delving, and that's kind of how it came about, really. He was he caught my imagination from his battles. I suppose he polarized the stadium. He was uh, he was the he went from being the, the I suppose the 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 bow boy to being the the darling of the crowd to being the national hero. Really, he captured the imagination. He was he had everything. He had that. He just had that twinkle in his eye when, when the camera had come on. He had a little bit of divilment in him, but he was always conscious of... He would have been tailor-made, I believe. Yeah, like, Darren only... When Darren got into boxing, his dream was to be a pro straight away. He did, like, things like Olympic medals and that weren't actually in his mindset at all. That's not something that he wanted to do. He was over in the Ingle gym when he was only about 15, 16, and obviously the charisma kind of came from there because... Brendan would obviously would have his ways of uh, helping people with the personalities. You know, there's, there's videos that be in the documentary of him, you know, yeah. in the middle of the ring and he'd have to sing in front of everyone, you know. Um, but he only ever wanted to be pro and he was offered lots of pro contracts then when he was like about 20 years old, but he knew he had to get education behind him because he could see what was happening to a lot of other pros in the gym. Uh, a lot of them were leaving with nothing and he knew that boxing wasn't going to do anything for him so he went and got his education at home but in terms of what you're saying there like he was made for because of that style that he had from Brandon Ingalls and because he wanted to be a pro he had like a pro style so he was tailor made for it so you know when he was his issue he had in amateurs was the first round or so he was struggling to get going mm-hmm. so he kind of just, as soon as he went to the pro game, it was like literally no difference in the way he fought, you know, and he was just made for it, you know, and uh, like James Gale said all the time, you know, his jab, he, he just break you down with it and uh, he says, you know, the thoughts of having to fight him as a pro would have been horrible because he would have been even fitter and quicker and stronger and he would have been able to go for it. You'd have to spend more rounds with him, you know, so he really was made for it. Um, I know Brian Lawrence had trained him in the pros, you know, he just had him doing fitness stuff because he was just so tailor-made for the pro game, you know. And he had plenty of offers. He had loads of offers. As soon as he won the medal, he had loads of offers. But obviously he went with Frank Maloney promotions uh, in the end. Like When it happened, Ireland was a different place. You know, it was, uh, it was when someone died, someone when, when there was a suicide, you'd be told it was a tragic death. And that's, that's how you always knew something. And then... Mm. 
um, or if somebody was suffering with me, with their, with, uh, they were struggling with their nerves. That, that's what we used to hear years ago. It was as if Ireland at that time wasn't able to deal with it and there wasn't a balance put to it. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, like it's, it's difficult, like, because, um, like the, da- Darren, um, from what I've understood from, from studying him and, and researching on him, his personality, like he, when you, when you were to look at him, he looked like he had a lot of charisma and stuff like that, but he was actually quite a little bit insecure about himself, you know, and, um, his biggest insecurity was, um, friends, um, in terms of if he had a row with someone, you know what I mean? He, he couldn't let it go. He would have to be outside your door at six in the morning knocking on it to, to, you know, you know, to make amends. Do you know what I mean? He, he was that type of person. And letting people down was his, was his probably his biggest fear, I imagine, from what I've researched. Do you know what I mean? Um, and he constantly needed reassurance all the time. Uh, not all, sorry, that's not right. Not all the time, but every so often he would need that person beside him to read. So in Ireland, he had Jim Halpin. Um, in Sheffield, he had Brandon Engel. And, uh, when he was over there in, in Bromley, he actually had his own, yeah, actually had his own counselor who you would speak to regularly on the phone and things like that. He always needed that bit of reassurance. And, you know, when it happened, it was just so hard to understand from everyone why it happened, apart from some of the people that were very, very close to him, you know. Mm. Um, but even then, even though they, they realised that he was in that place, they would have never thought that he would have gone that far, you know. And um, Jim had been kind of touched on a few things with me, you know, that the reasons why it ended how it did it seems like he felt like the walls were closing in on him a little bit um, in terms of letting people down. And that was his biggest fear, I think, in, in life itself. And Jim talked about, like, when he was fighting, everything was... It, he, he, he It described him fighting like a puzzle. He said, if if a piece of the puzzle was missing, he wouldn't fight. Do you know what I mean? Because he didn't want to have any regrets after he fought or let anyone down. He didn't want to come out of it and go, you know, I didn't make weight properly. I, you know, he just wouldn't do that. He just would not fight unless everything was in place. And if there was something missing, he, he wouldn't fight, you know. And um, that was kind of the, the argument that happened with Maloney and whatnot. You know, Jim spoke about Darren having a, a really bad cut on his eye and it was getting to the point where it was getting affected and stuff. And, you know, Darren, you know, he just wouldn't fight if if everything was in place, you know, which is rightly so, do you know what I mean? Mm. In the situation that he was in and from what I understand the things that were said to him, you know, it made him feel like if he didn't box even with the injury, you know, he was going to lose everything. Now, that This is all stuff that I've just read and understood, but with the personality that I've studied of Darren, it seems that that was like the one of the worst things that could happen to someone with his personality, you know, because um, he must have just ran through his head of just letting people down all the time. Um, and that's just the way he was, you know, he trained all year for the seniors a few years ago. I think it was the last year Andy Lee was competing in it. 
and he trained all year for it, but because of, he didn't train 110% and he missed a couple of days here and there, he just wasn't doing it. And he probably could have won it that year, but he just wouldn't take part in it because he, every piece of the puzzle had to be in place for him to compete. I think there was a scene in Saviours, the film, that short film that was made, um, and you, yeah. you just nailed it there. It was a scene where he was, uh, I won't say it was an argument, but it was certainly a discussion he was having with Pat McCormick at the time. And Pat was saying, look, he was trying as best he could, subtly trying to convince him to enter. And he said, no, he wasn't. He just wasn't. And there was just, there was no debate. There was no discussion. There was, it was just a flat, I'm not doing it. And that, what you're saying there now, because it almost cut to that scene, you know, where he was, he was, he wasn't training, but he was dropping in just to make sure he was, it, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it, it, they're, I suppose when you scratch the surface and, and, and when you're all these years later, when you're in a position to, to speak to the, to the main players in his life and the main people in his life, you get to see these little pieces of a, of a very intricate character and, and, his personality, do you know what I mean? Like the, the high performance w- was made from, and uh, and plus, uh, with the high performance, everything was paid for him, you know what I mean? So, because uh, Darren, yeah. apparently, from what Evan told me, he was a little bit tight with money, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, uh, there's some stories that mean documentaries are very funny, like, but, um, he, like, that was perfect for him because, like I said, he just would leave no stone unturned. He, he'd have written out what he would eat during the day and he loved his porridge and he would bring the porridge with him even if he was going abroad or the same <laughs> he'd have it in his bag. <laughs> he was so specific about what he'd eat and they'd have to go to certain, certain stores to get it and then when he was training he would, like after training he was doing an extra 20 minutes because he felt like he was letting himself down and he was a massive middleweight but he was never struggling to make weight because he was always buying on weight He was because he was just so relentless like Kenny Egan spoke about like the first time and the last time you ever uh, stay in the room with him you know you woke up in the middle of the night and Darren's out in the hall in the sweat gear like skipping yeah. you know for his weight and it's just the way he was like he was just every stone couldn't be on un- turn and the thoughts of letting himself down and letting other people down it was just uh, kind of at times almost like a like a fear of failure almost you yeah. know what I mean and because he knew he was he was good enough to beat all these people at European level, world level. He knew he was better, but he feel like he let, if he if he went in the ring and had done everything he could have, then he'd have no regrets if he lost. He just never wanted to have that, you know. He wanted to make sure every stone was in turn. If he lost, he lost. Um, just like when when he won the bronze medal, like as soon as the bell went, some people were moaning as to why he was cheering because he just lost. But he knew he had uncovered every single stone. He knew that he had done everything in his power to win it. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't win it, but he knew that he had no regrets about it, you know? Yeah. Do you think age had anything to play with, with, the, with that, with those fears and insecurities, Kieran? Because he would have been, I suppose, going to the pro game at the time, he would have been seen as, as, a, I won't say late, but it would have been, um, oh no, maybe not. Yeah. He would have been older than, than the likes of the Gale and those, wouldn't he? Yeah, like like James only re- retired this year, and uh, I think James was. If I'm, I'm, just, I'm just trying to remember now. Uh, I think he was around thirty five, thirty six around that age. Um, 
so he was a little bit older, not much, not much older now, but a little bit, uh, a little bit older. Yeah. And um, but they they turned pro the same year, and uh, like <laughs> I think he always wanted to be pro, and I think like because he had he was always ten steps ahead of everyone else. Like there was no one in the high performance that was going through university. Like he went no. back to school late. He knew that all these things that had to be in place when so he was boxing and he was doing his degree on the side. And Kenny even said, he said, you know, these lads that are in the high performance saying, well, I don't have time to do my studies and that. He says, he says, that's, that's nonsense. Like he says, you know, Darren was the person who, who could do it. But Darren knew what was going to happen after boxing if he didn't make it in the pro game and he had all those things in place. Um, so I don't think he worried about it. He just wanted to make sure that he gave himself the best opportunity in the programme. Um, and his dream was to be world champion of pros. That's that's all he wanted to do. He did Others would say he didn't want to be in the Olympics and win a gold medal. He, he just wanted to be a world champion and have a belt. And um, I'm not sure, like, like, you look at it now, like, I think, I don't think age was a massive factor in him turning pro because... He because he was so suited to the pro style, uh, Darren didn't do any four rounders. He went straight into six rounders That's right, because too. he was so fit. Um, and I think he would have been escalated quite quickly um, by Maloney. And that now that was coming through a time where it was hard to get TV dates and stuff like that as well. So um, you know James and him and they were fighting on all different types of platforms. So it's hard to know. If, if age had to enter to do with it, but one of the reasons why he was happy after the Olympics was because he already knew the next 10 steps ahead. Do you know yeah. what I mean? He was going to go to Bramley, he was going to go pro. And yeah, so that was really, um, that'd be my opinion on it now. Yeah, no, the age, I suppose I'm, I'm just looking again at uh, no more than you will have done already and more than most people and, and God mm. helping the family as well. I suppose you're always looking for something that may have been, and, and from what you're saying, he was just a very complex character. He was, had the, he was, as we keep saying, he was a, he would have been a consummate professional. He was absolutely tailor built yeah. for, for that lifestyle. I suppose the initial jolt was pulling him out of that secure environment where everything, all those things were done. And when the downtime was, he had the team around him and then it was bang. He was, mm. he was, and that probably was where the walls began to close, you know? Um, from a family point of view, did you have any interaction with the with the with the family? Yeah, so um, when I started the started filming for a documentary, I put up a few different things up on Instagram. Shaniqua, his younger sister, um, contacted me. She, I think she's abroad. I think she's living in Australia. I want to say I could be wrong now, but she she basically wrote to me just saying, um, I could probably read it out to you. Yeah, but no she just. She was just very, very thankful um, about it because she she wanted me to actually send her a few a few of the um, clips because she'd never seen them before or it was so long since she'd seen them. Um, she said, "Yeah, can you send me them so I can send them to my to my mother?" And uh, I said, "Yeah, no problem." Uh, yeah, she so she said she lives in Australia now, so uh, she said, "I remember when Darren moved to England, we were so close. I was devastated." So. Uh, he became my pen pal. This, this is when he was 16 and he moved over. So they were right into each other form back. 
And she said, I still read our letters. Uh, we wrote up back and forth. Uh, I can't believe it's 10 years. Um, feels like yesterday. So she just said, thanks for continuing to keep his memory alive. I, I kind of mentioned Jim a little bit by sending her a video of him and Jim and just said, um, yeah, Jim was one of the nicest men she ever met in her life. Said, you know, and she went to Saviors every Saturday to watch, uh, Darren Train and said to say Saviors loved them. And that was kind of the, the, the only interaction I kind of had. For some reason, when he did die, it hit me more than it should have because I don't do celebrity. Mm-hmm. I don't do fanboys. I don't do, I've probably had two or three idols as growing up. Like, I didn't, um, mm. something about him just caught my, I don't know. It was, it was cause he was so different. You know, it was in every mm. way and, and in a good way. There wasn't the side of him that you'd say, Oh, geez, I wish he wouldn't do that or I wish he wouldn't. There was nothing that you could see, uh, visibly that would, that you would say, Yeah, oh, look, they'll, they'll get that out of him. It was, he just seemed to be mm-hmm. that complete. And, and it was the first sign for me, uh, that these big, tough, strong warriors aren't all what we always think, you know, and that's, um, mm-hmm. and, and that's become very apparent since, you know. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, like, um, like, Darren was just a, a big warrior. Uh, like, he was a very much an over warrior. And I think personally, he was a very anxious person, um, mm. seemed to worry about a lot and he even admitted that himself, but he'd always have gone over things in his head and Jim talked about like, you know, at the end of, uh, the end of the night, he'd be, he, he would be training extra, but also at the end, he'd be asking a hundred minutes of questions, what do you think it is? And what do you think it is? Yeah. And Jim would be like, it's 10 o'clock here, Darren, you know, you, you need, we need to get home. Um, so he was just that type of person, need all attention to talk, 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 but, in terms of when he was around the other boxers, he would just kind of train on his own and he never really took banter well. If they gave him a bit of banter, he'd just walk away, you know. Um, so, but he was able to fall onto the other people in the amateur game. So, you know, if they're away, he would, he would have to come out and eat his meals with the other lads and to be that kind of mixing with people, you know, and then he'd go back and isolate himself. Um, whereas, Away in, in, in England, there wasn't that at all. It was just complete isolation, pretty much. Um, which isn't healthy for anyone, really. Um, you know, um, but Jim did go out to visit, uh, in England as well. Um, when he was over there. And, um, even though he'd signed a hundred grand a year contract, he said he was still as tight as ever. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 It's just, it's just the stories he's telling me, like, like one story he said he, he was, he, he texted him and said, right, Darren said, right, we'll meet for lunch at, at so-and-so restaurant. <laughs> and, um, he said, right, okay. So, yeah, he was standing outside the restaurant waiting for him and I seen Darren walk down, down the road and he's holding this, this big massive, like, lunchbox, like, almost like this property and it's got all this food in it. And he said, Dan, I thought we were going into this restaurant to have lunch. He says, oh, yeah, we are, but they let me eat my food in now. <laughs> it's just a, and he, Jim, Jim was like, yeah, it's just a new level of tightness, you know. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> Half a cabin but, uh, man in him or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. But uh, it was just, it was just uh, like he knew if he was spending his money, he knew that he, need, he was going to, he needed to get everything out of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, if he was given 
given you 10 euro. He wanted to make sure he got everything out of his money. You know what I mean? Uh, so, like, whether it was a pair of gloves or whatever it was, you know. I think um, Mick Dowland got most of his money, didn't he? Mick was on record as saying that he was always in looking for the bright colours and the match and everything had to match and everything had to match. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the one thing with the pro game, he struggled with it was, uh, you know, he used to tell all the amateur lads when he came back to visit, he'd be like, you know, you just get everything for free. And he says, I, if I want a strength and conditioning coach or on the physio, I have to go out and get it myself and pay for it, you know? Um, so yeah, but, uh, like it's, you look at, you look at the way he, he was living his life there now, you know, 10 years on from now, you know, boxers in general are constantly searching to, you know, back then the thing would have been, you know, right, you have to lock yourself away for a camp or whatever and you just train and you don't speak to people and stuff like that. Whereas now a lot of them are going to camps where there's a lot of fighters in it or there's a good group of fighters and you're kind of competing against each other and you're falling against each other. Now you're still on your own. You're still building your own brand and your own name, but there's still other people there in the gym that you're bouncing off. Like you look at Peter Taylor's camp, um, there's loads of pros in that, in that gym. I go in there all the time and the, the sparring is just so spicy. Do you know what I mean? The, Peter said in a interview with me, you know, you want to put a curtain around the ring at this stage because people in the gym just could be watching. Um, just that gym, there's, there's Celtic Warriors, you know, there's loads of lads in there. Then you look abroad, you know, you got the England gym, you've got even, uh, the Hatton gym. You know, that's the way it's gone now. Um, you know, the, the fighters need their own kind of little world and their own um, family, if almost, you know. And yeah. A.V. Oliver spoke about that, you know. He, he only lives down the road from his family and stuff, and he's got a child. And, um, but, yeah, he, he still has other people. It still feels like he's in a team environment as well, you know. And Darren didn't have that. Um, and, Darren, you know, his, his trainer, Brian Lawrence, said, you know, the first few weeks of training, he used to come in skipping and singing. And it, once he realized that, you know, the pro game was a business and it was different altogether, you know, um, you know, the smallest student left his face. Um, before we get to the elephant in the room, I suppose, uh, I wanted to say to you as well, there was, I know it, it seemed almost from the day it happened, there was a curtain pulled. Uh, the team went very much, uh, uh, there was very little, I would have thought Kenny, I suppose Kenny would have been a spokesman. He would have been seen as a spokesman, been the captain and he's, he's a great spokesman. He's a great leader, great everything. Uh, but it was, mm. I've often, now it only, it, this is only my perception, but it seemed like there was little or nothing said from that till, from then till now. It was as if they dealt with, they all dealt with it in their own way. Was that, uh, directive, do you think, coming from higher up, or was it just something they decided themselves? They just didn't want to talk about it, or they didn't know what to say, or well, am I right? Even in, is it was I? Is it just something that you think it, it just seemed to happen that way? No, I just think. Um, I think that well, first of all, they didn't want to say too many things. Uh, certain people, maybe because they didn't know much about it, but. Uh, I know Kenny, I know Kenny was in a very bad place personally, mm. um, when it happened already. You know, he was already in, a, in an awful place, an awful state, um, in terms of with, with his drinking and stuff like that, which he, he does speak about in the documentary, um, about, you know, where he was and yeah. for, for, for still for nearly, nearly two years after that, he was still in a really bad place, uh, with, 
going out and, and alcohol and things like that. Um, but thank God now he's, he's sober now. He's uh, a different he's man, isn't he? Now. But, you know, so that's why he never really was able to speak about it that much and because uh, he was just in such a bad place. And the other lads, they did do other documentaries to speak about him, but I, I don't know what it was. Like, the problem was a lot of the time, just Irish media weren't really covering boxing that much at all. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like someone gets built up and then as soon as they lose, then there's nothing. You know, like Darren was the kind of the last person to kind of fight in DCU, you know, on TV, Sky, you know, and it's just there wasn't really a follow up um, of of media for it. Now, they had recorded the Sabres boxing thing, you know, when he was an amateur and I think they were wondering when are they going to release it, I presume. Maybe that's what they were thinking, you know, when is the right time to release it, really. And, yeah, it was hard to find um, that, I have to say. I had to I had to struggle to find that. Um, I don't know, was it ever released? It, well, yeah, the Sabres Boxing uh, documentary was released on RTE. Um, I think it was only about two years ago it was released. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so it was quite, quite a long time after, but I don't know... Um, and there was a lot of uncertainty around it as well, wasn't there? There was a lot of... Um... Well, yeah, the, the the case in terms of the fi- like the finalise of everything, like in the lead-up to the to, to what, to how he died, and everything was only kind of settled in 2012 in the courts, you know, so there was a lot of things going on. So I think maybe that's one of the reasons why it was a lot of people didn't really speak about it that much and obviously mental health in itself wasn't really something that was spoken about back then you know I was only 18 I just finished school I was in uh, the little PLC course and walking in Craft Street and I was given one of these uh, like metro papers that are for free I was on the front page and that that's just that was the first time I kind of came, came into contact with boxing in general um, and that's the first boxer I kind of realised or knew that uh, you know from Ireland do you know what I mean, that had made an impact in the country so um, yeah um, it's mad now thinking about it like what I've done myself in the last 10 years being travelling abroad all these different things in that year it's mad now it just seems like such a, a long time ago mm. uh, the 10 years you know Do you think Kieran? Much, if anything, it's has changed. The, is there anything? Have there has there been anything put in place, or is it still very much down to the fighters themselves to to insulate themselves? Yeah, well, the problem in boxing is, you know, we don't have a PSA, we don't have a FIFA, mm. so you know they look after the players after life and stuff like that. And the thing is, Aaron had all these things in place in case he didn't work out as a boxer, you mm. know. So, um. It's only it's that necessarily. I think it's more so. You look at Anthony Joshua before he turned pro. He gave it a year in between, and he just spoke to constantly different boxers. Didn't take any offers. Just spoke and look, look. Had loads of different mentors to kind of advise him. You know, you want to be in this place because there's more people. You want to be in this place because they'll actually look after you as a person. And Kevin Mitchell said the same. Kevin Mitchell said, you know, you should have been with Tony Sims from the very first day right, because he, he knew him as a person. Um, so I think it's more so, I think more so that the boxers, uh, some boxers have become more street smart in terms of, you know, back then, like promoters were 
were really stepping all over some boxers. Mm-hmm. You know, like Don King. Don King, for instance, has burnt all his bridges with TV networks because of what he was doing with boxers. Whereas now, I think boxers have become a little bit more street smart coming into pro gaming. They're making more informed decisions for themselves uh, to make sure they don't fall into those traps. You know, so um, I think uh, that. I just, I just don't think many boxes now are kind of going, oh yeah, yeah they're getting handed a contract and just signing it, you know, so um, and not to say Darren did think a, a lot about who he was going to sign with, you know, the Darren had a lot of offers on the table, even more money being offered than what Frank Maloney was offering him uh, but he, he trusted uh, Frank, you know, um, so it's just it's just difficult in the pro game, you know. It's it's kind of every man for himself kind of thing, and you have to have that pedigree, or you know, um, to make sure that you get looked after. You know, uh, you see, Michael Collins looked after very very well, um, because you know he made the right choices, the right kind of steps. You know, he's, you know, Matthew Macklin worked, you know, really worked hard to make sure that top rank got involved with Michael Collins and you know uh, not necessarily they're going to give him the most money up front but they were going to look after him I mean Matt Macklin knew that they were going to look after him so I don't know if, if Darren had that person to kind of I know he did have the, uh, Declan Brennan who kind of looked after him and advised him but um, Darren didn't want to let anyone down and the, all I can tell you is that what Jim said to me in the document is, is the only thing uh, I can actually say about it. Jim said to me that, you know, he met Darren uh, in London that time I was telling you about and Darren had, it was almost like a lump under his skin. Mm. His eye. And he said, it looked like it was affecting. He said, Darren, what, what's wrong with your face? He says, I don't know. It's really bad. Like, and, you know, I, I need to get seen. I need to let it recover. But, but Frank Maloney wants me to fight in so many weeks and uh, Jim was kind of like you can't fight with that you know and uh, Jim said to me that Darren had said it to Frank and Frank who's now known as Kelly um, Frank said um, you know if you know he kind of told him he's like I can't fight with this with this cut and Frank kind of said you know but if you don't um, I'm going to take all that money back off you and I'm going to make sure that take that house off, off your parents do you know what I mean and you go home a national disgrace that's what Jim had told me now Darren of all the people that didn't want to let anyone down you know and in conversations what I've read it was with Jim um, I imagine that's the one thing with his personality from what I understand of not letting people down would have really really affected him um, and we would have really been thinking, overthinking that over mm-hmm. and over and over and over again, you know. Um, that's the, the probably the deepest I can go into it with you because it's from what Jim has told me, you know. So, and you'll see it in the small documentary, Jim saying it to me. So, yeah. Um, that's really as far as I can go. No, um, that's fair with, enough. With and, and I suppose it yeah, would have yeah. manifested itself with the insecurity that was already starting to build from knowing himself that the eye was a problem. Those words thrown in on top with the personality that he had and with whatever else was going on and, and maybe feeling that it, it probably manifested itself. I, again, I can't surmise. I won't dare insult anybody or, or otherwise. Um, but 
God help him. If only someone, if, if, if only, you know, and it's, it's, it's a career that we'll mm. always say if only, you know, in more ways than one. And it's, it's, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. It would have been a case of how many titles, I think, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I just, I just think it's not like through the whole thing, all it felt was it was just an awful shame because yeah. like his, his division was just so stacked, especially domestically, like, like, I was just thinking, like, the fights he could have had with James together. Like, James went on to be a two-time world champion, and, and Darren beat him four times out of his yeah. seven in the amateurs. Um, and Darren would have been a better pro than he would have been an amateur. And then, um, and then, of course, you know, he, he might, you know, I, I'd say it probably wouldn't have happened, but there was Carl Foch. He probably could have, could have fought George Groves, um, Mikel Kessler. So many fights there that could that could have happened in a super, super, and because of how he looked after himself, he could he could still be fighting now. You know, uh, he still could be in the mix against you know your, your Chris Eubanks and and things like that. So uh, that's that's and you know Calm Smith, etc. etc. But yeah. that's what I find a big shame. Like, do you know what I mean? He, he not only could he be a world champion because so many promoters were after him, wanted to look after him, he could have been a multiple weight world champion, not a multiple time world yeah, champion, yeah. you know, so, and he probably would have moved up eventually to, to you know, super middle or whatever or was. Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, because um, he's so big for, for, for middleweight, you know, uh, like James was in super middleweight pretty much his whole career, so I think he would have went to that, um, that way uh, in his career, but, I just find that an awful shame more than anything, you know, uh, because he was just getting going, just getting his feet off the ground, you know. And I've spoken to um, I, I spoke to Brian McGee a few weeks, a few months ago, and Brian would have been in the in that uh, middleweight division. I suppose he was super middleweight, but yeah, those those fighters that you're talking about there, he he would have been coming in as those guys were coming to the end. So you would yeah. have seen it as, um, I won't say gatekeepers because they were all dangerous right to the end, including Brian himself. I mean, he had some proper battles now, yeah. but I would have said Darren was, was coming through. As you said, he skipped, he wasn't doing four or six run. He was, he was gone straight in and, and, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. You can only think what would have been, can't you? I know. Yeah. That's, that's just the, the one issue. And, uh, the, like coming back on, on Darren's personality there again, like, uh, about, you know, not wanting anyone to dislike him really. Um, like James the Gale, like when he had his yeah. first pro fight, you know, he was getting booed out of the place, and uh, Darren just thought it was disgraceful. And Darren was texting Jim, Jim Halpin, saying, you know, like how could they boo the, you know, their gold medalists and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas, like, like James hated Darren through his whole atmosphere. He couldn't stand. Oh uh, really? Just because he, just because he beat him so many times. Darren being Darren Just before we finished with Darren O'Neill, I think Darren was starting to come through and 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 uh, mm. 
Darren Sutherland was just about finished. I think I'm right in saying this now. And I think I remember the crowd was quite split. There was a there was a quite so you can't help but wonder how now now when you know all these things that it it clearly he gave off this image that nothing bothered him that it rolled off him like duck like a water off a duck's back. But now hearing yeah, all yeah, that, yeah. you you can't but believe that it did have an impact on him somewhere along the line as well. You know. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Um, well, just like I said, he just he, after if he won, he'd be he'd be happy, happy as anything. And, but he always would think about the next thing, the next step. Mm-hmm. You know, you see in the documentary, you know, when he's doing his, his college work, you know, he's he's fighting for Ireland and he's after winning. He's like, yeah, yeah, really happy. He's like, yeah, but I got loads of college work to do, loads of college work to do when I get home. That's all he's thinking about, you know, the next thing that he has to do. You know, so. Fella never yeah, slept at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, massive over, over, over thinker, I'd say. Um, if you were to, I suppose, tie it up, um, what's the best way? So I suppose, um, with, I'm guessing when, when most people, I suppose, as with any death, when it, it passes and time passes and, and it's not that it gets easier, I suppose, it's not as foremost in your thoughts, but like here now when I'm talking about it and thinking about it with you, my memories are coming back, so I can only imagine when you were interviewing the likes of Jim, Kenny, and 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 um, mm-hmm. people. Uh, I'd say it's still quite raw. I'd say with a lot of people. Well, Kenny, yeah, Kenny, more so. You know, when he was when he was kind of talking about, it, you could see at one point he did get quite emotional, but uh, he didn't let it be seen. Like, but I could see it in him. So, mm-hmm. I mean, um, uh, Davy w- was. Much more kind of upbeat about it, and then and Jim, Jim was like, you know, Jim was very, very close to him, but Jim kind of was laughing, talking about the funny things, you know. But I think more so because I never really knew Darren, I never met him, um, and up until a few years ago, I never really saw his fights, never knew much about him because mm. boxing kind of found, I kind of found boxing at a later stage of my life, um, so I was going back over all this, so. Like anyone who's probably going to watch it, there's a lot of people who probably did know him or saw of him, but don't, their memories of him aren't that great. So what I would like people to see when they watch it, it's not going to be a massive, like, RT documentary. Obviously, it's going to be something interviewing the three particular people with, with clips of Darren in it. But I hope that watching it, they'll realize the athlete that he was and the great person he was. Mm. And that, uh, even people at the very top have their own little insecurity and that, uh, you know that that's perfectly normal, um, even for people winning the medals at Olympics. And um, I hopefully that that that's what people take away from it, whether they it rekindles memories of them, or for people who didn't know them at all to, to kind of because that's kind of like what I got from it. I didn't know them at all. Now at the end of it, I feel like I knew them a little bit. And that is the very feeling, I guess, that caused me personally and many many others at the time to feel it so hard when when the great man himself passed i'm going to close it out Uh, i want to remember it as best we can you're going to hear the words from the man himself and a nice close from his longtime rival and he was a longtime rival and a fierce rival james de gild but it was the most beautiful touching moment i've heard in quite some time in boxing when he finally managed to get his hands on that ibf world title and uh, thanks to everybody who's listened. I really, really appreciate it. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a bit squirrely at times. It's been a struggle. But look, 
I keep saying here, the emotion is real and everything we do is tries to be real. So when you hear it, you know what it's about. I believe possibly somewhere along the line his, his, his friends and family and coaches and stuff will listen. I just want to hope, want to say from my point of view, I hope we were able to put it together in the most tasteful, respectful, but also humorous way to remember the beautiful side of a man who just brought so much to a sport that that we all just love so dearly. So the very last word goes to the beautiful track you hear in the backgrounds. It's the Barley Mob, a clan-based band in County Kildare. They are, I don't believe they're together anymore, but they have a, an album on YouTube. If you get along and have a look at it, just an incredible song. And it's called Peace of Mind. You know, um, I, I honestly believe that, you know, as a professional, that's the, 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 the natural law of water. You know, if you're, if you're starting out with your first couple of fights, you, you've no, you've no, um, you, you, you've, uh, you shouldn't be on top of the bill because, you know, I have to earn that right. Yes, I'm an Olympic medalist, but as a professional, I've had one round, that's it. So it takes time, and especially if you're boxing a lower level of opposition that you're expected to blow away. You know, you can't be topping bills with that type of, uh, you know, unless, unless that's what the people want. But for now, I'm happy enough to just, you know, um, do my thing on the undercard and, and work my way up. And, uh, and hopefully then next year when I start challenging for titles, etc., then then I'll be able to headline a bill. We've been shot down and I've been betrayed, but I... It's for Darren Sutherland as well, of course. My late rival, he obviously, uh, when, he, when he took his life back in 2008, I mean, two, uh, 2009 was horrendous. And... Uh, from when he from when he passed, I've always had DS on my shorts, and this world title is for him as well.